On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, a new biopic about Madonna, Todd Phillips working on a sequel to The Joker. How do you know if you know somebody when you don't really know them? I promise that'll make sense. And Glenn Powell, who plays Hangman in Top Gun Maverick, joins us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob and Ronnie, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. Great guest today. Everybody, for the most part, has seen Top Gun Maverick. It's the biggest movie in the world. And Glenn Powell, who plays Hangman, uh, is going to join us coming up. Sue, I thought I'd get to a couple of, uh, since it's the Culture Pop Podcast, a couple of uh, headlines from Mm -hmm. Showbiz. So uh, we love Julia Garner. She was in Inventing Anna. You're so basic. You're so basic. Uh, She's been offered the role of Madonna in a forthcoming biopic about uh, Madonna. Uh, And she hasn't taken it yet. But Madonna is going to direct this movie herself. What do you think? Julia Garner as Madonna with Madonna directing. I don't think there's anything Julie Garner cannot do. Me too. So I think she is going to be amazing. Um, as far as Madonna as a director, I don't know. Yeah, I have questions <laughs> a part, about a, that a part, too. a part of me wishes that it would be directed by somebody else. Um, but, uh, and then have Madonna there. Just as a consultant. As a consultant. Yeah. Um, but Julie Garner, I, I'm all in. Yeah, she's she is so good. Uh, she should win awards for uh, for inventing Anna. You're so basic. I use that line all the time now. She is not basic. She is. You use, you use that all the time. I do all the time, all the oh. time. You're so basic. And how many people smack you when they hear it too much? <laughs> yes, it does get old. It does get old. Uh, all right. So director Todd Phillips posted to Instagram the first confirmation to 2019's Joker, a sequel. Uh, it includes the cover of the script. This is the Instagram post written by Phillips and Scott Silver, the same two guys who wrote the first one. Um, and the title is Joker Fully Adieu. Joker Fully, F-O-L-I-E-A-D-E-U-X. Now, I looked this up, and it means an identical or similar mental disorder affecting two or more individuals. So I assume this is like the Joker getting influence over people. Like at the end of, do you remember the end of Joker? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talking to somebody, maybe the Riddler or somebody in the, in the jail cell. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is as a similar mental disorder. So other people crazy along with the Joker, do you have hopes, high hopes for Joker fully a Jew? Well, uh, the, the, the first one was 
I, I know a lot of people didn't want to go see it because oh. the subject matter was just, it was so disturbing and it was so dark. But again, Joaquin Phoenix, I mean. Did you call him Joaquin? Yeah, I did call him Joaquin. <laughs> How do you pronounce his name? Uh, it's Joe. Hmm. Phoenix. No. What really? is it? Joaquin oh. Phoenix. Joaquin. Joaquin. Yeah, Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, he is such an amazing actor. Yeah. He's another one of those guys. I'll see him in anything. Yeah. And the fact that there's um, going to be dual characters that have this condition, it's, it's, I can't, it's, it's just going to be insane. No, oh, it's going to be great. It's going <laughs> to be, I'm, be great. I'm really, really psyched. Those guys can write a screenplay and Phillips made just an unbelievable first movie. And uh, whether you call him Joaquin or Joaquin. I didn't call him Joaquin. I called him Joaquin. Uh, that's what I called him, but it's Joaquin. Joaquin, yeah. Joaquin. Uh, no matter how you pronounce his name, he's fantastic. It's like Christopher Joaquin. Why? Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, last one here. Uh, everybody knows Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars. So now. Wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? What yeah, did you just hear this? <laughs> uh, so Jada Pinkett Smith went on a red table show and she said, Chris Rock and Will Smith need to talk this out and reconcile as soon as possible. So. Chris Rock has been very, very silent on this, but a source told uh, ET Online, Chris Rock is not concerned with the Smiths at this moment. He's touring and preparing a comedy special. Um, he also said during one of his um, acts, he's on tour right now, he's promising that he's mainly waiting to talk about it until he gets paid. So where do you think this goes? Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith wants an apology. Will Smith has already apologized. Chris Rock not saying anything. Where does it wind up? What do you mean she wants an apology? Well, she I wants mean, she wants she wants that the two of them the two of them to right. to fix what's broke. Right. So what what are you asking me? What like how do you, how does it wind do, up? I, does Chris you know, Rock does Chris Rock make up or is it just are they enemies? What what what's it like? I, I guess, you know, when he feels it's the right time to do it, you know, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. If Chris Rock, I, if I, I, I was know. Chris Rock, there's no way I would ever apologize ever. Oh, yeah, I, would yeah, never, yeah. I would never I would never accept an apology. He embarrassed me on worldwide TV. Absolutely. Like because when you said to me an apology, it's like, what about Will Smith? I mean, Will Smith is 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 was the was the um aggressor here right so you know like i i agree with you i don't i don't think chris rock has to do anything he doesn't want to do you know what i mean yeah like yeah. you know and and the fact that she's you know pushing this and going public with it it's like just shut up about yeah, it just move you know, along Jada. you want it you want it for yourself I mean, I, I feel like she wants it for herself and Will more than she wants it for, you know, this the whole situation. You know what I mean? Like she wants it all to kind of go away. And I think that, you know, the, the more that Chris Rock doesn't do anything, um, it, it just irks her because she's not getting her way. Exactly. Exactly. And I have a feeling just from watching them on the Oscars that Jada Pinkett Smith is used to getting her way. Absolutely. 
She, Absolutely. Yeah, she she really does. Uh, yeah, if I was uh, Chris Rock, I would never accept an apology. That that was just shameful. shameful. Well, it's not even accepting an apology. She wants she wants Chris Rock to apologize as she, well. No, she wants Chris Rock and Will Smith to talk it out and reconcile. She's too high on this uh, red table talk. <laughs> She, she like, really is. I don't know where it's on. I hear quotes from it. I don't know what red red table. Are they literally sitting at a what red table? Is it a is it red cloth? Is it an Italian restaurant? <laughs> I mean, like, what is it? Yeah, yeah, just a red table. From from I, the I'm best of my knowledge, trying to figure out red what table. red table means. I don't know what that means. Does that imply something? I think it's literally they're just gathered around a table that happens to be red. That's the hook, Sue. <laughs> It's a red the pitch. No, 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 no. It's got to be yellow. No, no, no. It's <laughs> no, got to be no, red. They no. go through the whole color spectrum. When the studio, like the sent, the notes, when the studi- the studio sent the notes, it was like, no, we don't like the yellow table. Why don't you go red? Let's go red table. Er, red. Well, it's yeah. confrontational. So I made a decision, Sue, and you yeah. tell me if this is reasonable. All right. So as I may have mentioned on the show before, I don't know if you know this or not. But I was originally uh, in life going to be an Oscar, uh, a an Oscar, a uh, an actor, and I was accepted to Yale Drama School and all that stuff. So I've decided. I've seen a couple of shows lately. I saw a great show called Come From Away over the weekend. That's just brilliant. I saw a show called Hades Town a couple of weeks ago, and there's a great role in Hades Town where this guy does some talk singing. Now, if there's one thing I'm good at. It's talk singing. And I have this idea that long after, and by the way, if you're a listener to this podcast, we haven't mentioned this publicly, but John Ireland and I have signed brand new three-year contracts. So for at least three more years, there will be Mason in Ireland. After that, I intend to go to Broadway. What do you think? Um, that role in Hades Town is so good. When you say you're you're planning on going to Broadway, are you going? Um, what what seats are you getting? <laughs> Am I in the orchestra? Oh, yeah. <laughs> are you in row K? So you've just decided. Yes. That you want to be a Broadway actor. I did. I did. And, and I'm. Not, it's not that I'm not going to work on it. Like I'm going to take an acting class. Oh, you've taken an acting class. Yeah. No, I have. I, you know, I've taken acting classes. I've done okay. done a lot of acting classes. Okay. And but I'm going to take a new acting class. Um, and I, I've got to find the teacher right. But I really, I really want to get back to my roots. Back to my acting roots. Why I don't even you, know. Why do I don't even know how. I don't even know how to respond to that. But I just, being, I, I, I loved, I loved, I love your confidence and and your drive. But I also fear um, your mental health. <laughs> 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 um. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, you you have kind of, and I hate to say threatened, but you have voiced. A desire to be a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, that too. Well, that's so. Are you? You're putting that on the back burner. I'm putting stand-up on the back burner, and I'm going to go straight to Broadway. Yeah, not not even going to do like off Broadway first. I might do a touring company. Okay, I might do the tour. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe, maybe you should start with community theater. No, I'm I'm better than community theater. Okay. Yeah, I'm better than community theater. So we have a friend, and when I say we, I mean you. His, his name, am I allowed to say his name? I guess you could say his name. Okay, so his name is Mike Armstrong. And I met him at your birthday party. 
And he seemed to know me, but I did not know him. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the night, and we talked for quite a while, throughout the night, I was racking my brain trying to think how I know this guy. And you were supposed to ask Mike Armstrong how he knows me because I don't know how I know him. Did you do it? I did. And he said, you claimed that you knew him. (laughs) So we really didn't know each other. He says I was the initiator. Initiator in knowing each other. And I thought he was the initiator. Right. But apparently we don't know each other at all, except for that conversation at your birthday party. Well, also, you smoked a lot of pot at my party. So I'm just trying to think if I'm if I'm going to. I have to go with Mike (laughs) because he does not smoke pot. Yeah, Um, I did have a lot that night. Right. By the way, you had a lot. Just just to be clear, you had a lot that night, too. I did. I did. It was it was my birthday. birthday. That's right. Celebration. Um, It is a weird thing when somebody because I have somebody in my life who uh, just recently contacted me um, and I don't know how we know each other, but apparently they know me for a really, really long time. And it's at the point now where I've had contact with the person. So I'm kind it's like, like, like what's the, what's the, um, what's the, um, the shelf life of being able to To remember something like the due date of when, of when you can actually say to somebody, how do I know you? Like, you can't like you can't let it go on for like a year. No, and, no, you know, no. You keep on like talking to the person and, and just one day say, you know what? How do we know? One <laughs> like you were in a coma for the, you know, the entire year. What what do you do? I mean, do you just flat oh, out? I would say, just come right out with it. Who the hell are you? How do I know you? What <laughs> What is going on you? here? I, I did it's you like get when, this number? It's like when you get a text message and you don't know who it's from. And I, right. you send back a note that says, I, I don't know who you are. You're right. not on my phone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I say, you know, th- you know, this is I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed about it, but I, I don't I don't know who you are. And then I find out that, like, it's my cousin. No, no, <laughs> right, right, right. But Tom, actually, Tom got a call last night from somebody and, and he put it on speakerphone and it was some guy saying, you know, he didn't say his, obviously he didn't say his name, but he was like, um, yeah, you know who this is. And he just went on and on. And Tom must have listened to it like 10 times. He says, <laughs> I have no idea of this person. But it was so funny how the guy preferenced it with, uh, preference it with, um, you know who this is. You know who this is. He didn't say his name. No, he says you know who this is. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you know no, I don't is. know who this is. <laughs> and he has no idea who it is. So I said, "Well, you're going to call him." I think it was a work thing. Yeah, but still, it's like so. It was so weird. Yeah, I did, I did ignore that one. Yeah, but if you hit me up on Facebook and you think you know me, then I'm going to ask how do how do I know you? Right. Where do where did we meet? Yeah. Mike Armstrong. <laughs> Mike Armstrong. I don't know. I don't know. I I I I'm trying I want you to do some follow-up with Mike because you see Mike. No, I, I asked him and he and said And he says it was all me. He said it was all you. He well, said tell he, him I said it was he all me. No, he's the one who said that that uh he he uh he acted like he knew me. 
Yeah. So we were complete strangers talking like we knew each other, both wondering who the other one was. Boy, that's a conversation. <laughs> we should invite him to play golf because he golfs. So I get to know him a little bit, this person <laughs> that I don't know. All right. Uh, so our guest today, I'm excited about this, has starred in movies like Expendables 3, The Great Debaters, Ride Along 2, and the SAG Award-winning Hidden Figures. And now he is the breakout star of the biggest movie in the world, Top Gun Maverick. Glenn Powell joins us. Glenn, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So congratulations on Top Gun. You play Hangman and you kind of, without giving anything away, you kind of steal the show. What's it like to wake up one day and realize you're one of the stars of the biggest movie in the world? You know, it's, it's uh, I was actually talking about it with some of the guys. We're, the, the Top Gun group thread is very active. Uh, everybody's constantly sharing photos, especially as like some of these behind the scenes photos. Everybody's like, hey, am I allowed to post this? Is this okay? Like, that's pretty much what it is right now. But everybody, I think, is feeling we made this movie you know, a long time ago at this point, and we made it in private. And, you know, you may, you, you don't even feel the effects of making this movie because you're making it on a military base. There's no fans around, there's no crowds, like you're just on a quiet military base shooting Top Gun and you're up in those planes by yourself. So it's a very intimate process making this movie. And then the pandemic hit and, you know, you're not showing this movie for another couple years. So you're kind of, you kind of just like emotionally detach from this thing. And then this torrential, you know, monsoon of uh, a tsunami of, of excitement and, and people are finally seeing this movie for the first time. And the fact that it's been received so well and the fact that people are so excited uh, about it and it seems like the world's turning up for it. It's just been kind of surreal, man. It's been, it's just been really surreal. It's got to feel like you guys, you know, aside from being actors that you really were jet pilots because you went through extreme training. Like, you know, we interviewed, uh, you know, people who, who worked on platoon and I guess it was the same thing. I mean, they really were, they were in, they were really in a debt in, in, in a jungle and they yeah. were, you know, it, so is, is that really how it felt? I mean, yeah, this, this, this process is completely immersive. I mean, again, it's not, there's nothing like CGI green screen, nothing about this. You had to fake, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Tom Cruise, I think that's one of the things I got to give him credit for is he really understands. I, I feel like, I feel like sometimes people miss, uh, use CGI and green screen, right? where Tom really knows when you do something practically, the effect that's going to have on an audience and how the audience is going to consume that and how that contributes to the, the story and the narrative at large so that that magic trick of full immersion, you know, washes over an audience and, and they get to lose themselves for, for a couple hours. And I think that's where this process, I really, like we lived on naval bases. We were on a carrier. We were doing all this stuff. And so, there was not one part of this. I felt more like a naval pilot than I did an actor. There's not one part of this that felt like we were making a Hollywood movie. It felt like, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're with pilots nonstop every day. So I feel like I got to walk like an aviator and talk like an aviator. And in addition, that was always something that was so important to all of us is this is a love letter to aviation, but a love letter to naval aviators. And 
the first people on any message board that are there to call you out is men and women in uniform when you don't accurately, you don't take the time to honor them and honor what their that culture is. And I think that was such a great thing as well. The fact that it felt, you know, fully immersive is that it made that part way easier. It didn't feel like we were, you know, in a Hollywood lot somewhere trying to be men and women in uniform. We were in, we were around them. Like even in the extra, in the bar scene, that those are na real naval aviators in that bar. Mm. So mm. it just, it all helps contribute to each other. You know, fact and fiction are married together in such a way that it makes, um, I think what happens on the screen a lot more special. So, I mean, this had to be like an unbelievably coveted role in Hollywood to be in Top Gun Maverick. How, what was the process like? How did you actually get the part? It was, I mean, that's another thing, looking back on this whole process. My entry into this movie was already kind of unprecedented before I even got the role, which was, I, you know, every, I knew this was coming down the pipeline for, for a long time. This is a movie that people were tracking for years being like, I think they may make this. Like, there's a chance, like, you're in the right age range. This could be something kind of cool. Um, my, first, my first moment, I think it was the 30th anniversary, I went with Don Granger and Chad Oman and the writer at the time, Justin Marks, one of the writers, um, to the 30th anniversary of the Top Gun uh, a screening. And we literally sat outside the screening. They're just all buddies of mine and talked about what you should include in a Top Gun movie. Right. Which was such an interesting thing. We watched the, we watched Top Gun, the original, and we sat outside the Arclight theater in Hollywood and we go, okay, you need, you gotta have a volleyball scene, but you can't do the volleyball scene. They were like, that's cool. Like you got to do some new cool stuff with jets. Like, I don't know if you can do like the take my breath away thing seemed a little odd people like sexy, but that was very much of the era. Like it was just fun to talk with them about how you honor the original without feeling like, because if you honor the original too much and you give audiences what they want when they're expecting it, it's not fulfilling. So you have to give it to them in an unexpected way, a way that feels modern and elevated where, um, it works with this narrative and you're not, it's not a derivative. So you're not watching the old movie while you're watching the new movie, which will collide and never create a fully immersive emotional experience. So I wanted to kind of get back to some of the training that you guys did. Cause Miles Teller was saying that the underwater training felt like waterboarding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so talk about like, like, did you get, did you get sick? Uh, Cause I know, you know, if you're flying and you're like going upside down and all of that kind of stuff that, you know, what, 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 what were you feeling? What, you know, was it scary? And by the way, plus you're also, I think, operating the camera, right? There's a camera inside the cockpit and you're running yeah. the camera too, right? Absolutely. Well, the, the, the helo dunker, which is what Miles is referring to, is was actually a, a thing that I loved. I, I I thought it was super fun. I mean, we got to train with Dave Keltimer, who's the U.S. Olympic swim coach, and his whole team. And if we did not pass all the swim fizzes, right? So basically, they test you to see if you can be treading in water and all this gear. And with the helo dunker to simulate cr crashing in a helicopter at night, so you're blindfolded underwater, you know tossed and turned like a washing machine and you have to find your way out. Uh, Miles 
did not enjoy that. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he let you know. Uh, Miles did not have a good time at the Gila Dunker. Uh, I thought it felt like a, an American Gladiators challenge to me. You know, it felt like Fear Factor or something kind of fun. I, 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 I enjoyed that part. Uh, but if you, I also, you know, grew up in water, so I can hold my breath a long time. So I was never scared or panicking. Where a lot of these guys, like even a guy Tarzan Davis, who's um, one of the wonderful actors in the movie, he, he plays Coyote. He um, he didn't know how to swim. Mm. So imagine learning how to swim from the U.S. the U.S. Olympic swim coach as your first as your first entry into water, and in addition to that, immediately having to go to a thing that is literally holding you underwater. You're strapped into a helicopter chassis, spun around blindfolded. I can't imagine more of a nightmare for an actor who doesn't know how to swim. I mean, that's really scary. Uh, I was even like. This is this is hardcore. This is crazy. So even things like that are something, you know, everybody talks about the flying, but just to get in the back of a jet, just to qualify to get in the back of a jet was this entire experience so that the Navy felt confident that that we could be, you know, if we had to eject over water or any of that stuff, there's a lot of sequences over water, um, you know, we, we wouldn't die, you know, and even just the, the protocols of, okay, you eject over water. Here's how you get saved. Here's your beacon. Here's, you know, this is what your body's going to be doing after you eject. You know, you basically black out after you eject. The, the, you know, you lose an inch and a half on your spine for the rest of your life because there's no more sponge material. You're shooting mm. out that fast. Wow. So it's like, it's just all these like things that you learn and, and think about. Um, it, it was just, a, again, it was felt all immersive. Um, but yeah, the jet stuff was its own interesting uh experience because you're right you, you're you're it's high octane you know it's visceral i mean you are when you're dog fighting and you're these sustained g's are, are really brutal and i'm sure miles told you about it you know there's there's capillaries that can even burst in your back i mean miles literally the capillaries burst in his back he pulled so many g's wow uh, at one point it's called g rash um so it's just yeah it's it's it's, it's wild i mean this thing has been being exposed to this, you always, I love filming movies because it's my favorite part. For someone who's curious and who's ex excited about jumping into different worlds, this is the best kind of experience you can ask for, but it's not meant for everybody. I, I'm surprised that no one tapped out. So this is a dumb question. Um, I grew up on Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. He and I are like the same age. Yeah. Uh, so when Outsiders came out, I was in high school when Risky Business came out, I was just on my way to college and on and on. So what's what's Cruise like? What is Tom Cruise like to work with on a project like this? You know what I would say is the thing that really defines Tom is enthusiasm and focus. When you get on a set with Tom, you know, every set is different. It's its own ecosystem, but it always starts from the top. Right, whether that's that's a, a, a an established director, established actor, sometimes those things battle against each other <laughs> in certain ways. But there, there's there's always a top dog, right? And it boils down from the top. And Tom is a guy that knows his his effect on people and knows how the enthusiasm and focus starts with him. If he's not focused, if he's not enthusiastic, it. It, it, it defines an entire tone to the set. So when he walks on the set, he is, he, is, he is ready to work. He's so excited to be there. It's like his first day on set ever. And he holds everybody to a degree of perfection 
and, and, and a standard of, of quality that is really incredible because there's nothing more uninspiring than being on a set where people don't want to make it great. You know, I, I, I don't, making movies is fun, but it can be really brutal. And if everybody feels like they're there to make something great, it is the greatest feeling in the world. Even if it's brutal, you're all in it together and you're like, we're going to put something magical on screen. And Tom, I think, has this amazing quality where you all know you're going to be there to make something great and you're not leaving until it's going to be great. And it's a great feeling because it, it galvanizes a crew in a really uh, wonderful way. And it's something I'll take on to everything is, is just setting the tone, you know? Let me ask one more Tom Cruise question. So yeah. uh, what what makes him, because I, I said afterwards, I mean, this isn't a Marvel movie. This isn't a Star Wars movie. This isn't a superhero movie. And yet he's such a big star yeah. that he can open a movie. And he's there are very few people that can anymore. Yeah. What about Tom makes him a movie star? You know, it, 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 it's so it's so interesting. It's such a great question because I've actually asked myself that question over the course of over this experience, which is what makes him different. I, I you know, and it's like because as a as a young actor, you're like, how do I become Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> and and the answer to that question is is you don't. Tom is singular. You know, like I, I was like, oh, how do I become Tom Cruise? And I'm like, I'm not Tom Cruise. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I could do what he does. Um, I, I feel like I can do a lot of things. I think I'm incredibly focused and enthusiastic. And I feel like I love this business the way he loves this business. But Tom is really singular. He really is. There's something magical uh, about him. I think it, it, it's, been, it's been amazing to watch his career because his career has been not just defined by action movies. I think a lot of young people uh, who grew up on the Mission Impossible movies where they go, oh, Tom Cruise is that guy that hangs off of planes and buildings and you know puts his skin in the game to entertain audiences. I think that's, they look at him as an action star when were the movies that I grew up on, you know, just like you, are, are movies in which are, in, are absolute classics. You know, he was, he's been all over the map and the directors he's worked with and the stories he's told and He's, he's taken really big swings over the course of his career and movies that movies and characters that, that don't tread on, on each other in a really, they all complement each other in this beautiful way. And um, I think that's what uh, I think his choices have made, have been incredible, but I also just think that it sounds like it's been in him forever. The more people I talk to that have been, who have worked with him, especially early on, he's always been disfocused. He's always been frustrated if people didn't come, you know, ready to play and, and weren't as excited as he was to be there and those sort of things. Like he really, it's just who he is. He just wants to be great. Um, and everything he's like, even this pool scene that I have in Top Gun, right? right? You know, that, that uh, there's like, when you first meet my character, I'm playing. Oh pool yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do was I just wanted to make sure uh, Hangman's got to be great at everything. So I was like, hey, if I'm playing pool. Like, I want to know how to play pool. I want to be great at pool. So I worked with like this pool coach um, and it bummed me out because in the movie, I'm literally I had this worked on this trick shot for like ever where I literally no look hit hit in two balls at the same time. Right. Nice. So I, like, mm -hmm. I hit this ball. 
this one goes in and this one hits the other corner. And they were doing this sort of wonder where you all see it in one shot. And so I was like, I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it so I could do that no look. Um, and I executed it on the day, just hit it over and over and over. I was like super excited. And then they decided to punch in, which every actor likes a close up. But I was like, can we use the wide? Uh, you know, um, and I was so excited about about that. And I asked Tom as we were shooting, he's like, dude, you're nailing it, man. And he's like, and he's like, you know, how long did you work with the pool coach? And I was like, I think we had like, you know, maybe like five or six lessons and, you know, maybe, you know, a couple hours each or something like that. I was like, you know, on color of money, like, you know, how, how much pool did you play? He's like, 14 hours a day for, for three months. So I was like, what are you talking about? No like, and, and it's just, it's just when you look at a guy like that, he is the reason he is who he is, is there is a, a relentlessness to everything he does. He will not quit until it's perfect. He will not quit until he's great at it and actually great at it. And when you watch him with every skill he's developed over time, it's, it's a, it's this patience and persistence that uh, I've never seen in another person to the same degree. So he wasn't the, the director of the film, but I would assume that he had a huge presence during the shoot. What, what was it like being with him in that capacity? I, I think the, the thing that made this movie really special, and another thing that is, I've learned on this movie on how to build a movie, is, is the hive of minds hmm. that you have on set. Tom's, Tom surrounds himself with smart people, like brilliant people, people that can, what would normally take someone days to solve or weeks to solve. He has these people on set, you know, Joe Kaczynski, Chris McCory, Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, these, these people that are able to solve complex problems and, and do it in, in seconds or minutes, you know. And what it does is it literally protects you, protects you. You're not wasting time on set because small little things, I've realized small little tweaks of the dial become really big things in a movie of this size. Um, and so I think Tom, you know, is obviously one of the great filmmakers. I mean, he think he is, he's worked with every great filmmaker. He really knows what he's talking about. He knows every department as well as the department head. It's just incredible how well-versed he is in everything. But he also surrounds himself with the best of the best. And I think I've, I've talked to him about this going forward. He's like, when you sign on to do a movie, he's like, he's poke every hole in it you possibly can. Make sure and go, is that department head correct? Is this, he's like, he's like, everybody just looks at the director. And he's like, who's around the director? Like, who's the producer? Like, what's the big vision? Like, where are you shooting it? Is the crew base there going to be good enough to really bring it? Is like, all those things he's thinking about the marketing department of the studio. Like what's their history in doing a movie like this? Like, are they going to support you in this? Like he, he is such a holistic thinker and, and make sure that he surrounds himself with, with incredible people. And I think that's the thing that is, makes the relationship um, with everyone on set that he has so special is he knows what everybody is doing at any given time because he's versed in it, because he's single, he, he plucks them personally. So there's this team effort. It feels like you're on a Super Bowl team where it's like, yo, that kicker could win us the game winning field goal. Like this is, this is the guy that's going to stop him on fourth and one. Like, you know, it's like you, you feel, you feel that, that energy of knowing how everybody contributes to the whole, you know? So is it true that you got to pick your own call sign? How did, how'd that go down? 
Yeah, well, the the original call sign was um, a call sign Slayer. Um, and it was really interesting. It's like it, it was so far away from the version that it is now. Uh, Slayer was even kind of like punk rock. It was like he was wasn't like an emo pilot, but he definitely felt like he was like a, <laughs> listen to Green Day while he was up there. You know, it was like, it was like kind, of an, kind of an odd swing. Um, and um, Slayer was the original name, you know, of the character. And and when I when I went to uh, one of the early naval briefings, you know, we were with the head of Top Gun. We were with all these naval aviators who were kind of briefing us on, you know, sort of again how how what a naval aviator is, what their day to day is. It's just sort of Navy one hundred and one stuff. And the call sign that they used, literally in a PowerPoint presentation in the hall, they were like, "Here are Navy call signs." You know, it's 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 peanut, it's zaddy, it's it's you know. Hot, you know, Tabasco, whatever. And they're like, and here are Air Force call signs. And they're like, it's, it's Spine Ripper. It's Slayer. It's Laser. And I was like, oh no. You know, they didn't know my call sign. So I was like, all right, they, they used my call sign as an example of what an Air Force call sign is. So I immediately went to Joe, Tom and Chris McQuarrie. And I said, the call sign can't be Slayer. It's like, you know, that, that's obviously this is a Navy movie. Like, you know, it's about Naval aviators and it's so the Navy is so baked into this. I cannot be that guy. Um, this guy's already doing things that are a little bit, not unforgivable, but very unlikable. I can't, the Navy has to embrace this character because he has to represent the swagger and the, the wish fulfillment of being a Naval aviator. So we went on this search. I went down to um, San Diego as we were prepping, you know, for, a couple consecutive weekends and just had dinner with a bunch of Navy guys and, and just spent time on bases and talked to them and talked to, and got, got heard stories about them telling stories about different, different aviators and ran call signs past them. And we went through quite a few call signs. Um, try to, a few even got printed on helmets. Uh, <laughs> patches were made, you know, just to see how it all looked. And um, uh, it wasn't until, hangman there was like this aviator that i met named noose and he told me the call sign behind his um he told me the story behind his call sign um that i was like oh my god that story is so funny and it can't be what was it was the story the story the story is basically um so so a call sign you get a call sign in the navy because you screwed up something something went wrong uh, you know, you, you went off a runway, you, you passed out in the officer's club, you know, you, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's like, and so that's usually how, how it goes. And so usually they'll tell you a story about how they got their call sign. And then they'll tell you the real story a few drinks in after you've gotten to know them. And so this, this guy told me this, his call sign, they, they called him noose because in middle school, uh, he went to a school dance. He was super, he was super excited about dancing with this one girl in particular, but he was, he was nervous that he was going to get excited. So he, he took the shoelace from his shoe, uh, and he tied his thing around his leg, uh, <laughs> to prevent him <laughs> from getting excited. And, uh, he got stuck and, and it literally cinched around, around the thing. And, and buddy, had to go in the bathroom and cut him out, right? 
So that's how he got the call sign noose. And, and I, I think it's just, a, a, I just thought that was the funniest story ever. And I was like, that's, that's, that's like a good starting point. And cause we always knew we wanted a Texas flavor. We wanted, you know, hangman to kind of be, uh, have a Texas flavor to him. Um, that was something that was part of Maverick. Uh, this, this character is supposed to sort of embody who Maverick used to be, you know, not flying with the group, the fun of being a naval aviator, you know, the girls, the fun, all that stuff, you know? And so we wanted sort of a Texas flavor to it. And so, you know, noose was kind of close, but it sounded like goose. And then we started, and then we talked about hangman, you know, Chris McQuarrie was like, you know, how, how are we feeling about hangman? I was like, you know, I, 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 I could be down with that. And I said, as long as it's gamified, it's not, as long as it's not, you know, um, too aggressive, you know, I want him to be fun. And so then we came up with the idea. Uh, I, I sketched out the helmet, the, the hangman on the helmet, which is, you know, there's these gaps in there to represent sort of the game and sort of also the, the specific vowels that were missing. It could be anything, which I kind of liked about that. So, um, yeah. And so that's, that's, yeah, that's sort of the, the genesis of hangman. So there's always a, a certain amount of backstory that you already know when you get the part. How much backstory do you do on your own? How far back do you dig to create some, uh, like a life for you as, as to be that character? I, uh, I personally like building, I, I do not think you can do too much backstory. Um, I, I personally think that pre-production is one of my favorite parts. I'm literally jumping into that right now on another project and I just love it because it's just, you just get to throw stones at a character. You just ask it all the questions and you, you start, uh, peeling back and unpacking things that are just kind of fun and, and it helps you, um, it helps you, um, find fun things on the day to do. You know, I always just liked, I mean, I always just looked at Hangman, you know, obviously we, the, the genesis of it was supposed to be, you know, Tom always said the first movie is a coming of age story. This movie is a man facing his age story. And we need Hangman to represent who Maverick used to be, you know, and we need the dynamic to feel like Iceman and Maverick in a certain way. He should represent parts of Iceman, you know, in terms of that, you know, not afraid to put it out there, not afraid to call anybody out, you know, you're dangerous. And by the way, Maverick and Rooster are dangerous to the group. So he's like, you are, you're right this entire movie. Iceman was right that entire movie. He doesn't deliver the mail the way you want him to, you know, he, he doesn't read the news the way you want him to. It sometimes stings, but he's right. And you have to also represent the fun, that unapologetic swagger of being an able aviator. Um, so, uh, so uh, sorry. What was what was the question? I, I just wanted to know how deep do you dig as an actor oh. for your backstory? You know what was really fun about that is is I I I wrote like a like a four page thing. I actually sent this to to Kaczynski recently. Whereas once we settled on Hangman um, as a character name and kind of a a general vibe, and we kind of took away emo aviator and kind of like brought this other thing in. Um, I wrote this backstory, and it's amazing how much of that is still in the movie. Like how this initial thing of like, here's who I think Hangman is and wrote all the stuff down. How like I looked back at it, I was like, wow, it's kind of crazy how that did define a lot of it, you know, in terms of, you know, um, the way in which he flies versus the way he is on the ground, right? I wanted him to be uh, an aggressive flyer. I wanted him to be fast and loose and fun in the air. Um, and 
uh, and on the ground, a little bit more of a gunfighter, you know, a little bit more measured, a little slow, you know, unflinching, you know, sizing everybody up, but cool, you know, and then up in the air, he's a little bit of a wild man. You know, that's where, you know, he's, he's like Sundance, you know, he's better when he moves. Um, and I, I just liked, uh, it was just, it was just interesting to see how, how a lot of that, you know, comes back into play. And it's just, you take these small little attributes of a character, you can kind of flesh everything out from there. It's fun. So you mentioned the iconic volleyball scene in the first uh, Top Gun. And yeah. now you've got this football scene, the big shirtless football scene, and everybody's totally ripped up and everybody's kind of, I, I assume, oiled up and all that, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Hey, you assume correctly, yeah. <laughs> uh, how much work is it to get? I'm, I have unbelievable abs myself. How much work is it to get abs like that? Like I'm assuming brown rice and chicken breast and steamed broccoli every day for a really long time. You got a trainer, dietitian, all that stuff. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, with, with that, the first movie, you know, those guys kind of knew, okay, we're going to have to be shirtless and playing volleyball, but no one knew it was going to be iconic. Right. Um, Rick Ross, that you play slider in the first movie. You know, we became friends on this one. Um, actually, there's a scene in which Slider and Viper are actually at uh, a funeral in this in this thing, and and that bit cut, got cut out because it's it, it it just didn't really fit into the story, um, I guess. And but I got to know Rosovich on this on this movie, and it was really fun um, talking to him about how that gif of him like flexing is literally like. It's a iconic, it's a, it's a, it's thrown to him all the time. It's the most shown image of his entire life. And he's like, I'm really glad I got in shape for that scene because <laughs> I can always show my daughters and you know, all that stuff, like who daddy used to be. Right. Um, and he's, uh, he's still in great shape, but you know, that volleyball scene, he was, he, he stole the show. Um, in this one, I, we all knew that was going to be a scene with a lot of eyeballs on it. It's actually, I, I knew it. Even before I, I watching watching the way people react to that scene, even at the 30th anniversary, that's the scene that people just like stand, like they're just excited for it. It's iconic, it's over the top, it's a little it's just it just serves an audience something that's just it's just all um it's just all fun, you know. Um and so on this one, I knew there were going to be eyeballs on it. And when I told people I was going to do Top Gun, they were like, ooh, is there a volleyball scene? It's like one of the first questions. <laughs> so I, um, you know, I wanted to get in shape. So I went to this place um, in Los Angeles called Ultimate Performance, um, which is they have, they are just, it's a, it got on my radar because a couple actor buddies had, had gone there and they were not like athletes. They were not, you know, you know, they're not gym rats. Like these guys are just normal dudes who got in unbelievable shape and the transformations. That's their whole thing is they go, we can get you in the best shape of your life in like six weeks. And I was like, that's what I need to do. So I went over there and, um, the diet actually wasn't as crazy as I thought it was going to be. I kind of thought the exact same thing. I thought it was going to be like super specific on portions and stuff like that. They basically, I just went like full paleo, just a bunch of, you know, protein and veggies and stuff like that but it wasn't and i just you know and the other thing that it's important is uh alcohol cutting out alcohol oh yeah uh, which is which is the you know for a texas boy not the easiest thing to do you know i love my tequila but um for for six weeks it's you know you just go hey just button down that you know let's 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 not 
let's not mess around. And the hard thing is when you're on a base in Top Gun and you're trying to get to know all these aviators, their love language is alcohol. You know, they, they, <laughs> that's how they want to get to know you. So it's, it's, you know, I cheated a little bit, but, um, you know, to go have some, a couple rowdy nights with those boys, but, um, but for the most part, you know, alcohol really affects not only sugar, it's, 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 it's sleep, you know, affects your sleep. So recovery time, especially when this whole, uh, drum roll was so immersive in terms of getting in shape, you know, uh, flying all the swim fizz stuff, rehearsals, trying to understand how to become a navigator. This, I mean, it was, it was sort of nonstop every day for at least a month. So what is it about you being a pilot? I mean, you played John Glenn in Hidden Figures, uh, <laughs> not Top Gun Maverick. And then yeah. your next movie, I guess you play a Navy fighter, fighter pilot uh, yeah. in a Korean War drama called Devotion. What, what is it about you? Do, uh, is, it, is it a look you have or people saying, oh, yeah, no, I get that guy as a, as a fighter pilot. How's that work? <laughs> yeah, my, my agent literally told me, he's like, hey, um, no more planes just for a bit. You know, can we just like <laughs> chill out? You know, um, I do love flying and I love, I've always been, I just, I just, I just feel like I love what flying represents. And I, and I think it's the characters that I respond to are, you know, people that are, you know, it's again, the pilot in command, you're responsible for your destiny. Like the more, you know, about like, as a pilot myself, like I've gotten my pilot's license now and one of the things I just love about having it and flying around by myself is I go, whether I live or die, you know, comes down to how much I know about this plane and, and how calm I can keep in any stressful situation. Um, and everything ha that happens up there is on you. And I just love that feeling. And I love that feeling in a character too. I love characters that I've never really been attracted to characters that, you know, shoot powers out of their hands and stuff like that. It's just like, you know, it's not superheroes have never been that attractive to me on a, on a, on a bigger level. It's been more, more exciting to me has been normal people that are doing extraordinary things because they will themselves to do extraordinary things. I think pilots are just those sort of people. It's just like people that I think there's something in their DNA that I just really, that excites me. Uh, they're adventurers, you know, they're explorers. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so I feel like, I feel like even though I have to kind of like, you know, chill out on the pilots, I do think, you know, the pilot roles, I do think those characters are something I'm, I've always been drawn to. So, you know, there was a story recently about a guy who, um, never flew a plane. He was on a plane. The pilot got sick. I saw this. And he <laughs> landed the plane. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that if that was you? you would be, do you think you'd be capable of doing something like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I can definitely land that plane. You know, I think, I think it's the, you know, I, I've landed all sorts of, you know, aircraft at this point. So I, I would feel confident in a lot of them. I think the, the pipe dream that everybody always has is like a private pilot is that the 747 you're on goes down, you're, you know, oh my God, the pilots are both down and you have your private pilot's license and you can somehow land this jet. Like, it's the funniest <laughs> it's the funniest thing that like this weird dark fantasy that every pilot has that you're the guy that happens to be on board but the reality is is like you're not landing your delta flight like it's it's just not going to happen you know like that's the funny part <laughs> i'm sure i could get on like you know a flight simulator and and fumble my way through it a bit and at least conceptually know how to do it but um i 
I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I, I think there's a lot of different kind of planes I could do, but I, I, there, there's a limit, you know, there's a limit and you never want to be the ego that's like, I got this. <laughs> well, you know, usually, you know, someone gets sick on a plane, you know, you, you hear them, you know, is there a doctor on the plane? Yeah. Not, is there a pilot on the plane? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a bad day. If you're on a flight and they say, <laughs> is there a pilot on the plane? <laughs> So are you a, uh, you went to the University of Texas at Austin. Or are you a football fan? Or are you a Texas football I am. fan? I am. So I was, uh, I, I worked for ESPN. I was at the Texas USC national championship game at the Rose Bowl when Vince Young won it for Texas, um, which was, even though my team lost, I'm a USC fan, even though my team lost, it was such a great game that I still think of that, that day really, really fondly because it might be the greatest sporting event I've ever attended. You were, do you remember that game? I was, oh, I remember it very well. I mean, I, I remember going down to campus, uh, UT campus right afterwards and, and literally dancing on top of cars. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've grown up a Longhorn. I'm a huge Longhorn fan. And that is, I, I agree. Like, I mean, obviously it's a sore spot for, <laughs> for, for the Trojans, but I, I, I do think that I do think that is what everybody wishes a national championship game will be, which is just everyone at their full capability and capacity slugging it out till the very end. And it was a dramatic end to like an unbelievable game. I, I just, it was, it was perfect. And as a, as a longhorn, I mean, we've been trying to get back there, ever since you know what I mean like yeah I, I want to ask you about that because yeah. you know I know Steve Sarkeesian a little bit because he was the head yeah. coach at uh, USC and he had some issues while he was yeah. here at one point his nickname was uh, Cuddy Sark because he had some, <laughs> <laughs> some, yeah. some alcohol yeah. stuff going on so yeah. are are you a fan of what Steve Sarkeesian is doing do you think the program is moving in the right direction I, I do I do I actually it's actually interesting because I have some um buddies that are on the the team sort of like my little little brothers that are that are on the team now and and so I have sort of a, a really interesting inside look to to the program and sort of where it is and I just think the one thing that's just sort of been interesting is I actually think Sark is a great coach I think I think some of the other coaches that we've had 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 attributes that were great recruiting or they were good at one aspect of the game, but they didn't. I really like what he's doing with the culture there. And I do mm -hmm. feel like for the first time, people, uh, the team feels galvanized in the right way. And also, I'm hoping identifies identifies the culture issue that's sort of at the heart of it. Right. Which is like, Austin's the greatest town ever, right? It's the most fun town. A lot of these best football programs in the country, they're in towns that are kind of not that great. Yep. You know, it's not, it's not that they're not great. They're just, there's not as much going on as, as Austin, Texas. I mean, Austin, Texas is everything you want it to be and more. And um, you, you guys, even as the, you know, as the Trojans, like have sort of a, an issue with this too, is like, you're in Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, one of the most fun cities in the world. And to keep athletes focused and to make them feel like what they're doing is special and that the culture around them is rallying around them. You know, you don't have that issue in Tuscaloosa or Athens, you know, um, you, you just don't. And so I feel like Sark is at least the conversations I've had with some of the guys on the team. It feels like people are feeling in the recruiting, feeling confident and also mm -hmm. feeling in the culture shift, feeling confident. So yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. Good. 
Good. Well, better win. You people are crazy. By you people, I mean Texas <laughs> fans. You people are crazy. He, yeah. be- he better win, right? Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's the other thing is it's, you know, it's full Friday Night Lights down there. It's cutthroat. If you do not win that that program, especially, you know, the boosters and, you know, everybody that's around it is um, they, they care and, and they should care. I mean, it's a program that everybody leaves a season scratching their head being like, I just don't get it. Like, how are we not converting on it? Yes. Yeah. You know, you have these these five star recruits. You're like, how are we not converting on this? Um, and it's. And, and I, I really, I'm just really hoping that that's, that's turning around. It does feel like that, but um, yeah, you, ju- you just never know. But I do feel like Sark has all the, all the makings of a great. Well, listen, uh, congratulations on Top Gun Maverick. It's an unbelievable movie. You are uh, officially a full-fledged movie star now. Uh, with with some great <laughs> moments in that in that film, uh, we appreciate you doing this. Thank you, thank you so much, we, uh, Glenn. We we really enjoyed it. No, I had a great time, and uh, best of luck to you guys. And so nice talking. Cool, you too. And there you have it. There is Glenn Powell, who Sue. From looking at that movie, I just think that guy is a movie star. He's just got it, whatever that is. I mean for sure and you know i didn't really know much about him and then i was looking at his um, wikipedia page and he was in scream queens which i don't know if you've seen no i haven't seen it's a great show the writing is amazing but he he has that he plays these kind of douchey characters yeah a little know? bit yeah i can you know, see he's that got that he's got that smirk and he's really good looking and he plays such a jerk in Scream Queens. And oh, that's he's awesome. So, so good in it. Cool. Yeah, he's got uh, big movies coming up. He's got that Korean war movie that is uh, next up for him. And I would imagine, I mean, it's not, po- they have to do another Top Gun after all this success. I got to believe they're going to do another Top Gun, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, there you have it. There's Glenn. Great guy. Appreciate him coming on. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. Thanks a lot for listening.